Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City. From an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How was, uh, well, we'll talk a little bit MLS later, but I know you were at Red Bull Arena last night. You saw a lot of goals, J.J. Um, I was blessed. People people are asking me to go to more Red Bull games to inspire <laughs> these goals. I mean, it was, it was like, you got seven goals. What bang for, for your buck? Um, the Red Bulls were We'll talk about it later, but they were far and away the better team. But it was such a beautiful night. Um, we had we had really good seats. Um, it was I won't say balmy. It was just like there was and there was no weather. Hmm. There was an absence of weather. There was no wind. There was no rain. It didn't necessarily feel like like October, but it certainly didn't feel like any time in the summer. It was it was like a perfect night for soccer, and uh, and we got seven goals. I sat there. I drank a Kona big wave beer. Wow. Um, from a tall boy and just thought, ah, this is nice. Oh, that is nice. That does sound good. Seven goals, too. And they, and you were there with the family of one of the goal scorers, I believe. But we'll we'll talk uh, about that. Yeah, we will. We, we will talk about it. Right, so a little bit of MLS later as the playing games are completed. Um, but we are here. It is a midweek, of course, of a UEFA Champions League week. And so uh, let's get into some of that um, as there were a few few notable, really interesting results um, as we reach the midway point of the last ever Champions League group stage. That's right. Sad. Stop saying that. It's well, I'm I'm a very nostalgic person and I want to no, memorialize but this all these moments. Nostalgia. This is doom. This does doom. Um, yeah, maybe. Although I will say that there were I was talking to some people that I work with um who are uh not casual soccer fans, are enormous soccer fans. Yeah. And like the way they talk about the group stage is like and we weren't talking about the new format or anything like that. It was just like a casual conversation about yeah. the Champions League. And they were like, you know, this this part of the competition is just like 
just get me to the knockouts. They're, they they yeah. were kind they were kind of of the opinion of like, all right, enough with this silliness. Like, the, what are we do? Like, we're just like they were. We were talking about Real Madrid and how they're kind of not, still in first gear, and they're like, don't worry. When we get to the knockout stages, like they'll get into their they'll they'll find it. Like this is just I, going through the motions right now. I understand. I understand what they're saying. I I do get that. But like you know, look for example, like a behemoth like Manchester United, they're going to have to go to Turkey and get something yep. if they're going to go through. So there's still some jeopardy. Um, Celtic are still somewhat in it after after their draw, brilliant draw at home with Atleti. You know, there are still little pieces to it. And let's not kid ourselves. What's coming down the line isn't better. It's not. It's not like suddenly, oh, we got rid of the group stage. No. If anything, you're going to have a more elongated and complicated group stage. Complicated, yes, no question. And about with that. more, and with more rubber, ga- uh, dead rubber games than we've ever seen. So you know, your friends they need to need to wise up. Uh, let's talk about one of the teams that you just mentioned there, who are in some jeopardy, but got an enormous three points the uh, just yesterday or two days ago, and that's Manchester United. I mean, what drama? What incredible drama is United? defeat FC Copenhagen in Old Trafford 1-0 and for much of the game I mean like it's it was not a game that if you were a United fan you you kind of got the feeling of like oh this is just one of those glory glory nights at Old Trafford this is just this is what European football and Manchester United is all about they were they were really poor I mean and yeah. we've we've seen this it's a theme not just in this game as a standalone incident they've They've done this throughout the course of the season. To their credit, I suppose, they've got a, a number of games already on their resume this year where they have not played well and they've found ways to win. I guess I'll give them credit for that. Most teams aren't capable of that. But this was another one. And I'd say for about, I don't know, like 80 minutes virtually of this one, Manchester United fans were were pretty miserable watching this. Absolutely. Can I ask you something, Andrew? Was it kind of us looking for our own confirmation bias with Ten Hag that we saw all these signs of progress prior to the to the uh, Carabao Cup final last season like was it just us who thought Ten Hag, here here's a good manager United have made a good appointment no i wholly i wholly disagree with that remember because, we, go back and listen to podcasts around that time what were we saying about Marcus Rashford I, I distinctly remember saying that like, know, but, he's not the best player in the world, but currently there's no one playing better than him in the world. Right. Like, so they were so, flying. Yeah, but one swallow never made a summer, Andrew. So, you know, that's a lovely phrase, isn't uh, it? One swallow never made a summer. So it's 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 Rashford plus us wanting Ten Hag to be good. Because if you plot it since since the Carabao Cup final, they've been atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Like almost immediately after they hoisted that cup, they're like, right, let's be bad, baby. And they've been terrible, starting with a 7-0 at Anfield. Oh. And then moving forward, uh, they've just been bad. But uh, I mean, to get, the, the, I, you would hope if you're a Manchester United supporter that the context of, of eking out, and I, you use the word eke in the rundown, and there's nothing better than that word. Squeak or eke would have worked. Squeaking out a result um, somehow against Copenhagen on a Wednesday night somehow inspires them? I don't know. Well, I think in the, in a competition like this, results like that are I view a little bit differently than in the context of like a season. Yeah. Like in in a champ in a tournament format, which essentially the Champions League is, um there is a little bit of survive and advance to it. 
okay, we didn't play well, but the points are what matter more. Just keep this thing going as long as we can. Whereas in no... a season, like form matters and like how good how good you look, I feel like might matter a little bit more than in a, right. in a condensed tournament. And and can we say, like with any confidence, after this game against Copenhagen, well, United are going to go to Galatasaray and get the result. No, they need. no, couldn't no. Couldn't say that, but they, no. but they might. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, oh, of course they might, but like we're just going on the evidence we have so far, and you'd be, you'd be concerned. Uh, yeah, yeah, you would, but, it, but look, Galatasaray, however difficult of a place that is to go, it's not the Bernabeu, you know, it's not the Allianz Arena, like. But, but, I, I, mean, I feel a little bit giving. Like, I don't want to sit here and act like United have no shot. No, but I'm just saying, like. Last last night was, uh, or Tuesday night rather. Like you don't want to think of it, you don't want to read too much into it yet because the storylines that make it a, a good story and a good win are more stories of mini redemption for for player individual players rather than ah that's a cohesive performance you can hang your hat on. That is true. That is true. And and I do wonder how Manchester United fans felt coming out of it. My guess is. I think that they were, I think they're kind of how we are with this, where they know the performance wasn't good. There were some that I saw messages from during the game that were just like, I can't take this anymore. Like, I, I don't want to watch this team play anymore. I mean, Copenhagen hit the post early on. Like, they, FC Copenhagen from that league came to Old Trafford and looked like the better team for large portions of the game. That's uh, yeah. that's crazy in a in a Champions League. So and United fans saw that they're good fans, like they're smart fans. They understand what good football looks like, and they know that their team wasn't playing it. But it's the Champions League, and it was incredibly dramatic how it ended. And so I think that a lot of that yuck that they felt during that game was a little bit washed away with how fun the ending was. And we'll talk about that because I don't awesome. want this. To, I don't want this to just be you know negative United. The way this ended was incredible. Uh, one of the most dramatic moments of the Champions League so far. Before we get to Onana, we'll start with the... There were the two redemption stories, of course. Onana being one of them. But Harry Maguire uh, also being... I mean, JJ, if we were making a list, if we made our all 11 of the most maligned Premier League players currently, I mean, Harry Maguire, he's the captain, right? He's not even close. Not even close. I have, I've never seen a player actively gone after by so many sections of like of united support um and of i wouldn't say the media because there's a lot of there's a lot of friends of harry Maguire in the media i would say social media he's just become a pariah a, a laughing stock a joke so for him to to get that header at the back post which was a really good header um and scored the goal, and he celebrated like it really mattered, way beyond the goal at Old Trafford against Copenhagen. Like the the meaning was there for him, and he almost looked conflicted. So he slid on his knees, and then he goes down to the crowd, and he's almost like yes, and then he stops and kind of looks at them, his tormentors, and I I'm sure in his brain there was a bit of, should I just have gone, grabbed the ball and ran to the halfway line with it rather than do this for these people because it's only a few months since he went to Old Trafford. Sorry, excuse me. He went to Dublin for, and, and let me tell you for a United uh, friendly, which United treated with utter disdain 
because they sent basically their second team, of which he was clearly a part of, and he was booed in Dublin. A partisan crowd. It would have been all Manchester United supporters. And he was booed by his own support, loudly and, and, and vociferously. So I'm sure there was a part of him who was like, mm, you know, do I, do I really? And he was almost out the door to West Ham. If, if certain monies could have been paid, he would have been gone. Um, but he, but he celebrated really, really hard and, and uh, kissed the badge as well, pulled the badge. I mean, it meant a lot to him. He's been, like you said, he's been maligned in a way I haven't seen since a player called Jason Lee. Jason Lee was a striker for Nottingham Forest in the mid-90s. And every week on... Now, remember, there was much fewer channels then and Sky wasn't available to everyone. So there was maybe five or six channels tops. And there was a show called Fantasy Football League with uh, Skinner and Badil, who sang that song later on, Football's Coming Home, they penned it. Love but they had guys. a show, Fantasy Football League. And... It was a funny look at football in the week and interviews, etc. And they every week did a highlights compilation of Jason Lee shanking the ball wide. Now Jason Lee played for Nottingham Forest, who were a big club then. So this was Jason Lee talked about the psychological impact this had on him, hmm. and they made fun of him. He had a, a kind of a one of those dreadlocks that were made into a, a big bun on the back of his head, and they. They uh, Badil used to dress up as him, a different time. Think about it: mm-hmm. a man dressing up as a as a as a as a, a black Englishman. Yeah, problematic. Um, but they'd put a a pineapple on his head, Ooh. and this precipitated a chant at Nottingham Forest. He's got a pineapple on his head. Got a pineapple. He was a byword for for a bad footballer and the abuse he got was he talked about it later in his life the the toll on his mental health and I'm telling you for Maguire in a shorter space of time it must have been 10 times worse because of because everybody now is their own little media outlet in a way so I I was I was actually happy for Harry Maguire yeah Um, the only thing Jesus Old Trafford and Anfield don't have big screens because they are not like well uh, Liverpool, are, I think, have got one or are getting one w- with the renovations. But you, but Old Trafford has only this tiny little sliv- sliver of a digital board. So all you can hear is the robotic voice going, "Far check in process. And I was like, and it was after all those celebrations, I'm like, if they take this away from him, this is an unbelievable cruelty. They didn't. And <laughs> It was um, very close, though. It looked very, very close. close. And so Harry had his redemption. Yeah. Uh, and his manager talked about him afterwards, too, using a word that was that I have not heard associated with Maguire in quite some time. Uh, Ten Hag said he's defending on the front foot, defending forward, very confident in the duels. I think he is dominating in the right way with his aggression against opponents. You, you see, he is also uh, he also gets rewarded. Of course, his heading is a skill, a very good finish. Um, dominating. In 16. I think United have won 16 of the 17 games he's featured in. Uh, and Harry Maguire will be the first to tell you that. Absolutely. We talked about last week. I want people to go back to 2018 and the World Cup and Slabhead and how he's considered one of the best defenders in the world. And Most became, expensive defender at the time, right? Yeah. So I want people to go back to that time and just think of the way things have descended since then. Um, 
it just goes to show you, even at Manchester United, you are not insulated from the levels of failure that can cause this kind of ridicule. No, certainly. Uh, Statman Dave posted about Maguire, uh, his game versus FC Copenhagen, 89 touches, 88% pass accuracy, four out of five aerial duels, won, two blocks, two long balls completed, one shot, one goal. Uh, you see too, I mean, I'm not going to go through them chapter and verse, but even his, if you look at his defensive statistics from last year to this year, they're all up significantly up. Uh, so, you know, there are, there are these narratives at play about Harry Maguire that he, that have just become easy and, and simple for fans to fall into. And that's that he's crap, but maybe, maybe we need to give him a little bit of a chance and allow, what he does on the field this season to determine how we actually feel about him rather than just working off of what we've seen in the past and and what feels easy right now. Now, big picture, Gav Cooney tweeted this, and, and, and we must reinforce the big picture. I mean, he was, Ten Hag wanted rid of him. Okay, so as good right. as those stats are, he wanted him out the door for a reason. Uh, well, he, wa- he wanted him out the door before these stats had had developed this was before the season happened. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, you're seeing a, a kind of almost a Disney-esque He's going to go on to establish him, reestablish himself as a starting centre back for Manchester United and possibly club captain. Um, Gavin Cooney wrote this was at nil nil. United might eventually get this done. They did, but the lack of imprint Ten Hag has left on the team is alarming. Still toiling against sides whom they can't hit on the counter, playing two guys who Ten Hag recently tried to bomb out Maguire and McTominay, and a new signing Mount on the bench. That's the thing for me. Like I still don't see. There's no imprint. There's no, ah, look at the Ten Hag United. There's none of that yet. They're no. not good at the things he wants them to be good at yet. And um, and and he's still dealing with the players he thought he'd have to remove to get them to the place he wanted them, them to be. So, yeah. The other redemption story from this one, of course. So Maguire scores that goal. Uh, it felt like an unbelievable moment, which it was, but there was still time left. There was a lot of time left still in that game. And sure enough, in the last moment of the game, Scott McTominay in the box, raises a foot, trying to clear a ball desperately as it's pinging around right in front of goal and kicks the Copenhagen player in the face. And bang, penalty, points right to the spot. The last, literally the last moment of the game. Incredible drama. And Andre Anana, who is the goalkeeper of our all-maligned 11, surely, uh, makes an incredible save with with an outstretched hand, uh, diving to his left. And the scenes in that place were spectacular. The way the team swarmed him. I mean, if you talk about the Disneyfication of a moment, it was, it was all they, it was, the only thing that was short of was if they hoisted him up on their shoulders. Uh, Onana wasn't, uh, Onana wasn't quite sure what to do. He, he went crazy, but then he realized, okay, wait, there's a, there's a corner coming here. There wasn't the whistle blew. It was literally the last moment of the game. It was an incredible moment. I mean, may, if we're talking about high drama in the champions league, it's, it might be number one so far in this champions league campaign, uh, not just the moment itself, but the player who was at the center of it. And so if, if somebody was able to find a way to upstage the Harry Maguire redemption story, Andre Onana may have done it with that moment. If I was to tell you that uh, when when uh, Henrik Larsson was playing for Manchester United in that brief period, or when he was at Barcelona or Celtic, that he'd have a son, Andrew, and one day that son would take a penalty at Old Trafford, would you put money on, on Larsson Jr. to score, knowing what his father had done? I would. I certainly yes. would. Yes. And that, that, for me, was the shocker. I think he telegraphed it a little bit. The stutter step's important, but if you get it wrong, you can really let the keeper know where you're going. And I think he did. And uh, and Onana made the save. But like Onana, Onana making that save is crucial because Onana, 
even when he gets close to the ball this season, he hasn't been able to stop it. So that was big, and it could be big for his confidence. Yeah, and he did have a big save also not too long before that in the game. Um, so it was a, it was an important night for him. He was good over the weekend too. Ten Hag pointed that out afterwards. Uh, I mean, is this the kind of thing? Like I sometimes wonder, is it a standalone moment or like this is now Andre Onana's moment with the Old Trafford faithful, where the okay, accept me now. Like I'm like I have I've had an incredible moment here for all of you people, and you know I, we got off to a rocky start, but like he he just built up a lot of equity with that fan base in one moment. Can that turn a player? Like he, he, if he's if he will he feel settled now in a way that maybe he was worried that the people are against me. Uh, I got to be looking over my shoulder. My manager might you know make a move here. Like is this like now? Okay, we're all good. I can just go out there and play now. No. Because, well, goalkeeping is such a an individual, unique position that I actually think you do you can take confidence from that. But you're only as good as your last save. You're only as bad as your last mistake. He literally now has to go in and put a put seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve performances together without the kind of gaffes he's had, and then he's established as United keeper. United have had good keepers before that can pull off great saves and then suddenly let one into the net and they've had to be gotten rid of. Fabian Barthez, Mark Bosnich. Uh, at more recent times, we've had we've had goalkeepers there that are just... We've had a keeper who was player of the year, club player of the year, how many times in the last decade and yet by the end of the decade was decided was, wasn't good enough and had to be moved on. So it's a tough position there. It's been a tough position since Michael... Tough position since Edwin van der Zaar. They they've never been really secure at it. Um, and don't forget the minds of the football fan, Andrew. Like things move on so quickly. There's a game coming. So if he goes in the weekend and, and makes a mistake, forget it. That penalty save is gone. See ya. Yeah. Um last note on this, just to close on to kind of bring it back to where we started. JJ XG philosophy. Manchester United XG in this one, 1.66. Copenhagen 2.02. Now, obviously, I know some of that is that they took a penalty at the end, but not numbers. I mean, Manchester United and FC Copenhagen in a Champions League, not what no. you'd expect. Not exactly. You'd expect. So we shouldn't get too carried away, but enjoy the drama for now. And the scoreline ultimately is what matters. 1-0 and United, a hugely important three points. Also an important three points for Arsenal. They go top of their group uh, at the midway point with a 2-1 win over Sevilla in Sevilla. Not a super easy place to go. Um no. Arsenal, a couple a couple nice goals. Gabriel Martinelli right before the half uh, on a play from Gabriel Jesus. Like Martinelli had a lot of work to do. He had a lot of ground to cover, had to round the keeper, did brilliantly with all of that. But Gabriel Jesus, I want to talk about his game that he had because it was such an interesting night for him. The move he makes, I mean, he's a number nine and you think of those guys, okay, they're, they're there to score goals. He's a playmaker. I mean, he really is. The way he gets that ball turns between two players, really kind of three that were around him, and sees what's developing while his face appears to be pointed towards the other direction, but knows yes. where Martinelli is running. And then after he makes that move to free himself from those two Sevilla defenders, makes an unbelievable pass right into Martinelli's path and makes it as easy as possible for Martinelli to go on and score. I mean, Gabriel, what a what a player and what a goal that was. That's not, I mean, that's a ball that's cleared. It's not necessarily, oh, you're away now, you're in. He has to make that happen, like you said. Facing the wrong way, sharp turn, and slides um, slides Martinelli in. The one thing about Martinelli that you talk, talk about how well he did, he has such a long way to dribble the ball. 
sometimes I hate strikers. I they want you want them just to get on it right as the keeper's advancing to go around them. When you're on the ball that much to go around the keeper, it 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 actually becomes harder. Uh-huh. The, the more time you have, you want less time. Um, a lot of touches, all of which have to be exactly right. A hundred percent. One goes left or right, and you're like, oh, oh no, that's that's not a chance now anymore. It it really is like that. Um, uh, said said Andrew and JJ, who both have played at this level. But um, <laughs> uh, the then his goal, his goal, his his own goal. Like there's nothing on. He's out on the left hand side, turns inside, and it's just a brilliant strike. And it's not like. Arsenal played well for a while, but I mean, Sevilla roared back into this one. Yeah. And it could so easily have been 2 2. You're talking about Onana. Is that a moment where he gets what he needs to, to launch his career at United? Rea has one of those moments where you're like, if this goes wrong, the clamor for you to be dropped is going to be enormous. It's a cross into the box. He comes to punch, a diving punch. Somehow, instead of hitting the knuckles of his fist, it hits the top of his fist, goes backwards behind him and over onto the roof of the net. I have never quite seen anything like that. Usually those fly into the net and you look like a dolt. He's got, he absolutely got away with one there, Andrew. I, uh, wow, yeah. And so Arsenal get the win. Yeah, that that would have been, I mean... I, I can't even I can't even imagine. Now with Jesus, like you said, he scored an unbelievable goal after having that unbelievable assist. The Sevilla goal was on a corner kick that maybe his kind of lost his man and, and that may have led to Sevilla's goal. But then topping off what wound up becoming a very uneven night where he was incredible. Um, but then he he was forced off with a hamstring issue. Uh, disaster. Mikel Arteta said afterwards about it, he felt something in his hamstring, so let's see. He straight away asked to be subbed, which is not good news because he's not a player that does that at all. We'll have to wait and see in the next few days. That's what it's Arteta told TNT. It's significant. Um, Because in a game like that where it's the, the it's not decided, it's not 100%, it's significant that he felt that, especially carrying the injury into the season. That's that's a huge worry. It, and again, they, so they go, don't they don't have someone like him that they can just suddenly slot in there. They they just don't. Well, we'll find out. This has been the theme question of the season so far is what is Arsenal's depth? Is it a magic eye poster that you can see what you want to see if you squint hard enough? I know you and I have differed on it. I mean, look, if he's out, that is potentially devastating because for the reasons I just talked about, he scored an outrageously good goal and had an out, maybe an even better assist all within the confines of one game. Um, if he's out, their front three becomes some sort of combination of what? Saka, Martinelli, Trussard? Or Saka, Enketia, Martinelli, Trussard off the... It's still, some, some I think it's still okay. It's not now. Obviously, there's a downgrade from Jesus, and you're thinning your depth now off the bench, which is which is also important with this team competing for a, t- a title in the Premier League and and something in the Champions League. So depth matters, and it gets a lot thinner quickly. But I still think they're okay. Well, let's not rehash that old debate. Well, we might be forced to in the coming days, depending on how results go well, for them. You can wait a few days then. Yeah. Uh, and we have to see also what the actual diagnosis or, or prognosis is on that hamstring. But it's something to look out for because on a night where he was so good, that would really suck. Um, one other one I, I want to mention here, JJ, Borussia Dortmund go to a very wet 
St. James Park beat Newcastle 1-0. That's Get a in. that's a character building win for Borussia Dortmund to go to a really hostile ground like that on a on a night where it's just gross pouring out. Did I read yeah. I thought I read um in the Guardian that they had to move the VAR equipment for fear of ele- electrocution. I don't know if that was a joke. Um but it was, it was that it was that bad. Uh yeah, and you know, obviously props to Borussia Dortmund uh who get that win, but for Newcastle it's kind of one of those things you look at it. Some nights some nights are just not your night. Obviously they couldn't score, but they hit the crossbar once in like the 87th, then right a few minutes after that in stoppage time. Um, they lost Alexander Isak to injury as he was forced off early in this game. Yeah. Um, and to top it off, the player who scored the winner for Borussia Dortmund on a great goal, like a fun goal to watch as that one developed on the counter. But Felix uh, Mecha scored the winner for Dortmund, was a player that Eddie Howe was interested in, in wanting to sign at Newcastle over the summer. I mean, it was just one of those nights for Newcastle. It's just like, what else could go wrong here? Well, in fairness, uh, you know, it's not like Dortmund didn't have their chances. And very early on, two of the best saves, reaction saves you'll see from Nick Pope. Uh, to keep the game at nil-nil for a little bit longer. They were kind of hit, not to take it away from him. It was a little fortunate. I mean, they were both hit right at him. Yeah, okay. All right, fair enough. Um, I loved loved the Dortmund goal because it starts with Schlotterbeck. Like, it's Newcastle on the attack, and it starts with Schlotterbeck cleaning Anthony Gordon and getting the ball. Like an old-school man, ball, family, kids, house car tackle everything was taken with them and they go on the break and it's a side foot finish from nearly 18 yards from uh, Nemecha it's a brilliant goal and he was the guy brought in from Wolfsburg essentially to kind of fill the gap that uh, Jude Bellingham would leave so that was his first that was his first goal as well yeah. um, fa- a fa- a f- truly fantastic goal by the way my Borussia Dortmund 95-96 tracksuit top is is in transit to my to my house you are the you are the king of the impulse buy Oh no, it looks so good. Though. I bet it is. I'm sure it's gorgeous. I'm gonna walk around the neighborhood pretending to be German of that era. I might try and grow an Andy Muller mullet. Good idea. And, uh, one one thing on, on Germany, and just quickly because I wanted to do we don't have time, but I wanted to do with things I saw on the internet. Oh um, I found a video of of um coverage. Uh Jim Rosenthal from ITV went to Stuttgart for in nineteen ninety. Uh, December of 1990. So Germany had been crowned world champions in the summer. And this was the first game against Switzerland of a reunited Germany. And just, you have Jürgen Klinsmann there talking about integrating the Eastern European players into the side, the Eastern, Eastern German players into the side. Like we forget about it from a football standpoint. We see the Berlin wall come down. We see all that happen. And, but we never thought about what. Well, how did the two teams come together? Yeah. And literally, they just got called up regularly. Matthias Sammer, uh, Andreas Tom. Andreas Tom became in that game, scored a goal, became the first uh, player from from the old East Germany to score for the reintegrated side for the 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 joined together Germany, the whole Germany. And um, and that's how much time I spend on the internet that I found wow. this video. That's cool, though. That's interesting. It was very um, cool. One other note on this game. So we, when the groups were announced, this was obviously, if there was a group of death, this was the one that everyone circled for that. And you're kind of seeing that mm-hmm. it is developing in a way where you 
It's as competitive as we thought, where where you you can't really afford to slip up. Newcastle, who I think for the most part would say this Champions League campaign has been good for them. They they get, went to the San Siro, got a draw, smashed PSG. You know, there there have been some good moments, but now look at it. They're halfway through the group stage. They just lose this one um, to Dortmund at home. They're now outside of the top two spots, just like that. And in their final three matches, two of them are going to be played in Paris against the PSG side that really looks like they might be clicking right now. Mbappe playing brilliantly, and they're going to have to go to Dortmund. So I, I think if you're a betting man, for whatever successes there have been so far for Newcastle, I think you're betting against them to go through after this loss at home. It was a it was a really damaging home loss. Betting, supporting against them, the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, you can Absolutely. use whatever word you like, whatever verb no. you want. Yeah, no, you're right. Very damaging for them. And um and uh the another big they were expecting another big European night. If you've beaten PSG in your in, in your mind, you'll think, well, Borussia Dortmund, we can do this. And they end up getting beaten. It's not a good result. Two crossbars that late. Oh, Oof, that's tough. Uh, let's see. Any other observations, JJ, from uh, from match day three? I know Manchester City won, but uh, and Erling Holland got back in the goals um, after he had had a little bit of a Champions League drought. But it, it was a gorgeous chip from young boys that I think most people were talking about afterwards. Seemed like the kind of goal that you would you'd be fawning over. Yeah. Um, no. Uh... I, 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 City lately, I've got to pay more attention to their games. But City versus Young Boys, I'm not watching that. So I did a lot of channel hopping. Okay. Um, went, skipped from games, looked at what I wanted to see, see what was exciting. Celtic and Atleti was, was the game for me. Great game. Absolute cracker. Um, it's amazing because my Celtic supporting fans have said, have said since the start of the season, since Ange has left and Brendan's come in, that it's been slower. They're trying to pass the ball to death. They're not. It, Ange Ball's gone. I felt like Ange Ball was back against Atleti. That's their best performance of the season in any competition. Just to show you, though, if you can put a, a side together, a coherent side, to play one of the top sides in Europe out of a league like the Scottish League, I mean... It was uh, Morata's equalizer was was brilliant. Um, I think I think a two two result is fair enough, and it kind of leaves Celtic with some with a little bit of hope in the group, or uh, uh. well, well, a little bit of hope that they can get what they want and get into maybe the Europa League or whatever. But that's uh, true. Absolutely great game. Fantastic. They can't win. They they don't win though. <laughs> I mean, uh, BBC had stats after this one. Celtic remain winless in twelve home matches in the Champions League. Yeah, they haven't won any of their last five games in the competition in which they've scored the opening goal. I mean, they led that's twice the, in this game. I mean, that's the thing for me with them. They they, they can point back to, like, in the last 15 years, big European nights there to beat Barca, beat Juve. But, like, wins there are becoming less and less against anyone. Never yeah. mind the big sides. Against anyone. And that's the big impediment. Andrew, the way the club are run, uh, it's very tight. They they gener- generate a lot of revenue, and that does not automatically go back into transfers. So you are like Big Ange had to be clever. He had to bring players in from Japan, players he knew on a budget to do a job, and, and that has worked so far. But Celtic, you feel like at some point, some point, Dermot Desmond and the board just open the purses, let this club have a run at things in Europe. That's what they want. Um, speaking of the purses, they're going to face a ton of fines after defying the fans defied uh, UEFA and their own board uh, by bringing in Palestinian flags into the ground um, for that game. So uh, 
significant fines coming their way. It'll be interesting to see how we wait to deal with it. But yeah. apart from that, oh, one other thing, Feyenoord. Um, brilliant performance, really big performance against um against Lazio. Like really hammered them off the park for most of the game until uh former MLS or Taddy Castellanos went over pretty easily in the box and and uh, uh Pedro, who's still playing, guys, still around. Uh, converted the penalty for Lazio, but um, it was a very good performance by Feyenoord in um, in what's I told you is a very interesting group. Um, and that you're talking about atmospheres, the atmosphere at the height, it's it's got to be one of my favorite stadiums in the world. That I I mean, there's lots of stadiums I haven't been to, most stadiums I haven't been to, but I would love to go there for for a big game. It's yeah, it seems seems amazing. Yeah, a cauldron, JJ. Um, it is, and it's built like a cauldron, Andrew. Yeah, I know. Um. One other quick note to go back to Celtic Atletico Madrid for a sec. Antoine yeah. Griezmann. I mean, when it's all said and oh. done, like I feel like he's he's quietly put together a resume that when he retires one day, we're going to look back at and be like, oh my God, did we appreciate him enough? He's been yeah. directly involved in 31 goals and 38 appearances for Atletico in 2023. 19 goals, 12 assists. Only Vinicius has been involved in more for a Spanish club during that time. Um, he's he's spectacular. He's And sometimes maybe doesn't get recognized in quite the ways that he should staying with, with Spanish sides in the champions league, Barcelona uh, continue to get production from this next generation of stars. This time it's Fermi and Lopez. Come on down. He scores what turns out to be Barcelona's winner, their lineup, JJ was talking about this with a couple friends. Um, it is the weirdest combination of global superstar players like Robert Lewandowski. Like there's guys like that. Then there's like, Weird castoffs who have found new life there, like Andre, like Christensen, players like that. And then there's this, yeah. like when Real Madrid makes a sub, there's almost no player on Real Madrid where I'd be like, who the hell is that coming in? Barcelona have this whole other team of like players who who come on, and I'm just like, who? And like, and they they've got this incredible wealth of of young talent that's coming through, and we're kind of seeing all of it now start to develop. And these names that maybe we didn't recognize a few weeks ago are, are going to start to become more and more commonplace. Um, it's just such a like you look at their squad, their bench, and it's like a fascinating mixture of of players. And Fermin Lopez, twenty year old, is the one who steps up in, in the Champions League for them and gets a winner. And now they've got El Clasico coming up over the weekend. Uh, obviously, a huge one. Um, to uh, determine things at the top of the table. But yeah, Barcelona, an, an interesting performance from from them, but they get the win. And then lastly, seen, oh yeah. Sorry, just quickly, have you seen the reimagined designs for the new camp? Well, I, yeah, it's under renovation now. They're not playing. Yeah, but you've seen, it. like it's kind of showed what the Spotify new camp will look like at the end. Uh, it, it's just not the new camp. Oh, well, yeah. I mean. All yeah, little, yeah. Mo- modernity, Andrew. Unfortunately, it's yeah. I don't know. It's it's losing a bit of its luster. Well, we'll see. Uh, let's have them play there before we decide that. No, I hate it. Oh, fair enough. Uh, and then because we always have an eye on on Concacaf as we sit here in the Concacaf back in Qatar, um, Santiago Jimenez emerging for Feyenoord, who you mentioned before as maybe the next the next big Concacaf star scored for them uh, the the Mexican international, and so. Uh, Always looking out for our CONCACAF brethren, um, even even what? if it's from one of our biggest rivals. Always. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Feyenoord were fun to watch, by the way. They yeah. were, they were, uh, they were fun. Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, match day three in the Champions League. Lots still to be decided in those in the the three games to come. In what is the final group stage, JJ? 
as we remember it. Uh, we'll go ahead. We'll think about that. We'll take a break. We'll come back. A little bit of MLS. JJ has his report from Red Bull Arena. A um, couple other things to do on the other side. More caught offside still to come. Don't go anywhere. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, back now. Caught offside here. As we, uh, kind of winding down. Winding down the work week, JJ. It's a, a lovely Thursday here in New York. You were at a lovely Wednesday evening clash between the New York Red Bulls and Charlotte FC and what turned out to be an outrageously one-sided affair. Charlotte were desperate. Really, really desperate. The Red Bulls look, look confident. Um, the Red Bulls are like just so different from what... <laughs> when I first went to that stadium like 13 years ago, uh, you know, with Henri and um, then Tim Cale and all that. They, they're just such a different operation, but they've got a local hero in John Tolkien. Like all the young fans, all the supporters wanted to get in his signature. When he, when he set up uh, Elias Manuel's second goal, um, which was a beaut, when he assisted on that, they all run and celebrate in the corner and he signs autographs and signs shirts during the celebration. Um, just, he's already beloved. So at 21, chance he'll move on somewhere and uh, he'll be badly missed there but the, um, his free kick as well he scored a free kick he assisted on two he was voted man of the match by the fans even though Manuel had a hat trick um, Red Bulls look so so superior um, and amazing for them to score five goals yeah if, if, if someone had said to me before the game Charlotte will score two at Red Bull Arena I would say well that's a 2 nil defeat for the Red Bulls Um <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, up front, uh, I mean, their strikers were 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 tripling or or doubling their goals going for the entire season. Like it's, uh, it was a brilliant performance against a desperate, desperate team. Um, and even though, in, I mean, the introduction that Scott Arfield came on in the second half for Charlotte, hmm. um, as they kind of tried to claw their way back into it. I mean, they got it to four two. It was some. It, I mean, it got nervy maybe for a nanosecond. But um, it was so comfortable. Uh, they, I report that the stadium was not full. No, not um, even close. They, no, not even close. But those that were there, big supporters, a lot of noise. Sure. So it's it's about it's about the club trying to really get those casual fans back in the seat, uh, in bums and seats enough, and and maybe I don't know. The fear is that things will become terminal now against Cincinnati. That Cincinnati are just cut a couple of classes above this side and that this is the end of the road, but it's, it's knockout football, albeit with all the quirks and and changes that have been made to the playoff structures. But I really enjoyed it. It was just enjoyable. It took, 
I, I know it's like we say it's like getting to Mordor. It's not really though anymore. The upgrades to the Patrain there at Harrison have made a difference. It took me an hour, Andrew. Door to door. It took me. I left late. I I had intended on leaving earlier. I left at ten past six. I caught the F train, changed and got the R at uh at J Street, jumped on to the R to Cortland, and then at like World Trade Center got the Pat train. An hour. I I got there at like seven twenty. Okay. That's an hour and ten minutes or whatever. That it it flew by, and and the train station's Harrison has been upgraded in the last few years, and it's much much better. Honestly, it was it's way easier for me to get from Brooklyn to Harrison than it is for me to drive up from the shore or get there in the traffic and the and everything. So, and a lot of the fans, so many of the fans were coming back, were coming from the city, were coming from the five boroughs mm-hmm. where they were getting off in Manhattan or World Trade or. Um, they were going to Brooklyn, so it was it was kind of nice to see. There's something there. People want good live soccer, yeah. Um, and it's so much a better experience in an actual football stadium than it is going to Yankee Stadium. That's that's well, the other side of it. NY, but NYCFC are working on that. We all we well, know that now. Good for them. <laughs> um, yeah. So and they're guaranteed of one more home game with the new best of three format, of course. So FC, uh, so Cincinnati will be going there for the second game. Yes. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But that's a yeah, it's a monumental task against them. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, after that game, Sporting Kansas City defeated San Jose Earthquakes on penalties, and uh, they now advance to face the top seed in the West, St. Louis. Um, but Tim Melia with a just an outrageous penalty record for Sporting He's... Kansas. I think he saved was it like 14 of 36. Um, would you just sign him if you were a team that knew you were going to be in these kind of games, playoff games? Would you just sign him as so you can bring him in for penalties? Well, this is what the Dutch used to do with Tim Cruel, right? Yeah, like Sillison would start and yeah. then he'd go to penalties in the Euros or whatever, and on comes Cruel to act like an absolute buff, like goon in net, but like still save them. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, yeah I, I, I don't know, it's not a not crazy, you're not crazy. Before we get out of this, the people I were with were they were workshopping things for the for the podcast. They were talking about the uh, the title and uh, with the Red Bulls winning five two, they wanted to call it uh, Red October. Or I no, prefer no, no, no. What about the hunt for Red October? No, no? The, the the whole Phillies playoff campaign is called Red October. I I can't. It's too soon. The hurt. Oh, is, they is were still doing too it. Real. No, you're a Phillies fan. They were doing it to wind you up. Oh no. Oh, it was on purpose. Oh, I think it was. Oh, tell because they said tell Andrew. Red October is, is is happening with the red. Oh, I'm sorry, Andrew. Oh. oh, it was on purpose, and you were too dumb to understand what was happening. That's sad. I thought they were just really into like the hunt for Red October, like that there was an angle here with the Red Bulls. That's sad that you were too too dumb and dense to see what was happening. But it's it it's me. ended up in you having some uh, uncomfortable moments right now, so that it was worth it. Um, so there you go. That's pretty much it. Uh, one thing I feel terrible. I, you had said to me before we started recording that you wanted to mention this near the start of the podcast. And then we just got into talking champions league, but there, nothing is definitive yet, but there's talk of Everton having, I believe what could be potentially a 12 point deduction because of a breach of financial rules, which would just be, <laughs> I mean, with with, yeah. with some of the irregularities we've seen over the years with certain other clubs, wouldn't it be something if, if poor Everton, who are near the bottom, uh, are the ones who wind up 
getting the actual punishment that we felt for so long would be headed the way of others. Um, well, yeah, I guess we, they don't have the the team of lawyers and accountants that some of those other clubs have. No, they're um, yeah, that's true. They're not exactly uh, they they don't have the 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 nobility in a Middle Eastern country that uh, said they would basically uh, hire what was it thousands of lawyers for hundreds of years or whatever just to fight all these things. So John Percy, the Midlands football reporter for the Telegraph, says. The Premier League demands a 12-point deduction as maximum punishment if Everton are found guilty of breaching financial rules. Important to note that final decision will be made by an independent commission. Everton maintain they have complied with the rules. So this is the Premier League trying to enforce their rules. Um, While we wait on the 170,000 charges against Manchester City, it seems kind of weird that Everton's one is is coming to a conclusion so quickly and with the Premier League demanding a 12-point deduction deduction now i assume people are saying well how can they influence the uh, outcome of an independent commission i don't think they're they are not influenced looking to influence the findings i think what they're doing is they're looking to to say if the findings are against everton this is what they want as the punishment so the findings will be will be um will be deduced by the panel and then the punishment will be made by the premier league um that is, I mean, that's them. That's them in the championship then, right? Goodbye. Good, yeah, I mean, they, they're on seven points right now. So it, like, they'd be down to negative five. Christ. I mean, it, it would be a fatal blow. Unquestionably, a fatal blow should that happen to them. Um, yeah. We yeah, should also would... mention in the last couple of days that um, Bill Kenwright, the Everton chairman, has passed away. Yeah, um, 78, uh, passed away from cancer. Um, I saw David Moyes talked about him, uh, obviously, who, who managed there for a long time, called him a wonderful man. Uh, saw Seamus Coleman lay uh, flowers down uh, for him outside the stadium. Yeah, tough. Ugh, I mean, tough times right now at that club. Really? And, and, and Ken Wright, I remember him going way back to the 90s when I remember his relief in the stands when they avoided relegation twice in the 90s. Cameron would always pan to him in various states of 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 pain and agony as he watched this side just kind of find their way to out of a complete disaster. Um, he was a polarizing figure towards the end amongst fans, but he loved that club. He yeah. genuinely loved that club. Uh, and I think, and I think the players who played there, I think they, it seemed like there was a real appreciation of him as well. I saw, uh, I had a quote here from Leon Osman who was talking to BBC Radio. He said, "Bill, who Leon Osman, of course, played at Everton." Uh, Bill Kenwright was one of those who always made you feel like you were the center of the world. My children always felt that they were close friends with Bill. Um, everyone felt that way. Uh, that is an art some people have. When you talk about Everton as the people's club, he was the people. Um, yeah, sad. 78 years old. Yeah, Kenwright. very, very sad. There's yeah. there's one issue that we will get to next week because we can't let it go. Okay. Uh, Josie Altador, Andrew. Oh, I know. I love this and I want to talk about it. But yeah, so I, we, but we should give it the time it deserves. Let's not I cram know. it in at the end of a Champions League podcast. I, I won't, I won't do that. He made, he said, yeah, go ahead. Josie said on, on CBS is kicking it. He was asked about his 2014 side versus the current 2023 side and which is better. And he said, if the two sides played each other at full strength, I think ours, the 2014 side would win. Better is a weird word, Altador said. More complete, I would say, our generation in terms of just position from position. Better talent-wise, individual. I would say this one now, but not everywhere, in certain spots. 
Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure this one out, Josie. Don't worry. There's on a your lot behalf. there. That's no, oh, and we're man. gonna do it because it deserves time. This is the stuff you do over a pint in the bar. Um, and uh, and me and Andrew are gonna get cans. We're gonna get a bag of cans. We're gonna open them and we're gonna figure this one out. I love it. Um, so yeah, you got that to look forward to. We'll be back with you, of course, early next week. El Clasico, Manchester Derby, a ton going on. Um, it should be a fun weekend, and and yeah, we'll we'll dive into maybe some of that as well. The Altidore comments because because such a great topic for for a podcast to just really it's, sink its teeth into. It's amazing, <laughs> and there's no right or wrong. Nope, we can never know. Sadly, I wish, they could, is, I wish they could. Play. Is miles better than Matt Beasler. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I'm here saying. we go. Here we go. Uh, JJ, this was this was a joy. I enjoyed this very much. Fun Champions League week to recap. Glad to get your uh, Red Bull recap as well. Hey, have a good rest of the week. To you, I say. Talk to you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 